Welcome to Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet, a special InnovationOz.com video podcast series brought to you by Ping Identity. From debating access to anonymity issues in online culture wars, to fighting cyber threats on the commercial internet, or in the delivery of government services, identity impacts everyone. In this series, we will speak to a compelling list of experts to trace the global online trends that have helped frame digital identity, and to understand the cyber landscape shifts that have shaped identity access management practices and zero-trust environments. Join us as we explore the philosophical and practical sides of identity, the fundamental issue at the heart of the internet. Hello and welcome to Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet. Today's episode is the low-hanging digital fruit for governments. And today I'm talking to Ashley Diffie, Vice President of Sales, Asia Pacific and Japan at Ping Identity, and to Victor Dominello, the former New South Wales Government Cabinet Minister and Minister for Customer Service. Uh, Welcome, Victor. And welcome, Ashley. Thanks, James. And great to be here and great to finally connect on one of these with you, Victor. Knowing that uh, you and I have been in the same space for the last few years, we're very excited to be connecting here and uh, doing these podcasts and also having you join us at our Universe Conference in a few months uh, along some of the other key influences in this space. So great to be here. Thanks, James. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Ashley. All right, very good. I uh, should have mentioned in the intro, um, this podcast is a partnership production between Innovation Oz and Ping Identity. Um, just before we get started, Victor, I just want to ask you, since since you've left politics, you've you've got a, a couple of roles that are out in the open. One is uh, uh, UNSW-UTS kind of partnership, the Trustworthy Digital Society Hub, um, and you're also working as an Executive Director at the Tech Council of Australia. Um, so since you've left politics, you've uh, joined uh, a partnership between U- UNSW and UTS, the Trustworthy Digital Society Hub, which is uh, uh, kind of ground zero for some of the stuff we'll be talking about today, um, and also joined the board of the Tech Council Australia. So how's, uh, very very briefly, how's your post-politics oh, life look? It's pretty good. It's, um, I definitely don't miss the politics. In fact, I, I never liked the politics. Uh, uh, I enjoy the policy and uh, I very much enjoyed working with the, uh, great people. So um, that continues. The policy and working with great people continues, but uh, leave the politics behind me, which is great. Yeah. I think I've always been jealous of politicians, I think, because everyone offers you their opinions <laughs> for free and constantly. So plenty of advice to work on. Um, Look, let's let's start. You and I talked about digital identity. I think at the first uh, doorstop I did with you, it was probably mm, 2016. Wow. Maybe it was the introduction of a digital economy yeah. strategy, and and I was asking you how how you kind of work with the federal government on I- identity matters. I think this was pre phishing. Yeah, long time a ago. long time yeah. ago, right? Um, so we, we've had six or seven years since then, and. There's been tremendous progress, don't get me wrong, but but it's been a frustrating journey on the digital ID front from a, a service delivery point of view. Why is it so? Well, hard? I think it, it goes back to an era where we had the Australia card debate, which, mind you, was in 1986 before the internet. Uh, and I think there's a lot of hangovers from that that are misplaced. Uh, 
when people realise, for example, as a result of the Optus breach, that if you get a a strong, rigorous uh, identity system in place, it actually enhances your privacy, it enhances your security settings, uh, then this has to be one of our number one priorities as a nation. But I think it's been slow. Um, in New South Wales, we pivoted off COVID uh, and demonstrated, for example, through the digital driver's licence, how powerful that can be and how quickly we can get people back on their feet uh, with those digital service offerings. And that's why we, before I left, we launched the beta of the New South Wales Digital ID to take it to another level in terms of further enhancing privacy and security and service delivery. So just given your background, and I'll come to you in a moment, Ashley, but I'll just stay with uh, Victor Dominello for just a moment. Given your experience with Service New South Wales, given you know your interaction with the the state federal kind of jurisdictional complexities, when you look at when you look at the federal government now, I mean we talked about getting advice from others all the time. What advice do you you know take to that government? What should they be doing now to make sense of what is not currently absolutely clear? Uh, in terms of, of, of direction? Well, they're definitely on the journey, uh, and credit to Minister Gallagher and uh, Bill Shorten. Uh, they, they were the two driving it. And before I left, uh, there's a data digital ministers meeting. Uh, I understand that Minister Gallagher is going to put out a draft bill uh, in the in the months ahead in relation to the trusted uh, trust digital identity framework, TDIF. Uh, and then hopefully that bill comes into Parliament next year, hopefully in the first half of next year, and then some working products around that, not just a, a G to C, but a B to B, a G to B, B to C play, that you have that entire ecosystem because it can't be just the government. It's got to be uh, the um, entire ecosystem at play. So we're, we're definitely well and truly uh, on that path. Uh, you know, my job, for example, is to – use my experience and lend my hand in providing some support to the federal government uh, on this journey because it is just so important for our nation to get this right. Actually, I wonder if I can ask you, like you've uh, spent a career working in, in IT, but in particular on identity issues. So when when you look at and having a regional coverage, you get a bit, a bit of a, a bird's eye view of this stuff. When you, when you look at what's happening in Australia, where do we sort of sit in terms of progress along that road? Um, yeah, great question. So um, I think some of the things we just talked about here are, are really critical for where we go next. Um, Service New South Wales was way ahead of their time in launching digital drives licences and integrating all the government services that they did over the last, call it decade, or best part of seven or eight years. Um, if you look at Australia as a nation, we don't respond particularly well to mandates from government. We need to have that balance of convenience and trust um, where I think we've had a few missteps, which isn't being overly critical of the government, it's just the reality of building technology at scale and major projects can go wrong and little missteps when it comes to security and people's identity is highly sensitive. Uh, and I think I said it on the last call, uh, we were on James, that you know, trust is earned in drips and lost in buckets, uh, and this is case in point, I think, with government platforms around identity. Um, to your point around uh, regional coverage, I was pleasantly surprised with my digital experience when I went to Singapore post-COVID. The first flight over there, 
the digital um, uh, border going through and getting you past into the country was absolutely seamless. And then once you're in Singapore, you know, they've got a, a 97% adoption rate of SIM pass. And admittedly, Singapore's got very different uh, cultural norms to Australia around adoption of government standards, but that 97% means that CPAS is the standard and it's going to be used for everything from renting a property through to onboarding an employee for a new, a new job. You pretty pretty well can't live in Singapore without a digital identity with CPAS. Um, I think where we are in Australia at the moment is we are on the very pointy end, or very pointy end of the precipice here where we can be a global leader um, amongst others and be um, referred to the same way Estonia is and others, maybe not by having digital identity from birth and having that same percent, but being able to retrofit a meaningful digital uh, identity platform that gives all the citizens of Australia, irrespective of where they are in, in the country, and that is a very broad um, spectrum, access to a digital identity that gives them a better experience as a citizen as a citizen or predictive point customer or whatever platform you want to connect into digital identities need to provide its convenience and secure experience uh victor dominello let me just ask you about so that cultural difference right so um 97 something percent adoption rates in Singapore, uh, it would seem pretty hard to achieve something like that in Australia with a mandated ID. I'm wondering how, what is it that you need to have within an ID or within choices of, of various IDs in order for the uptake to be similar in this country? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good um, point to, to raise Singapore. But having said that, Singapore is a very different jurisdiction in the sense that it's a single state. Uh, they don't have the complexities of a federation uh, and uh, some pretty archaic systems that we have here. But having said that, um, as I said, they, they got to 97%. In New South Wales, um, about 80% or over 80% of people have now opted in for digital driver's license. Now, that's not 97%, but it's not mandated either. So, so to get to 80% is extraordinary. Uh, we got about 85% of the adult population using the service app. So again, not 97%, but pretty stratospherically high. So you can get those very, very high rates of adoption by giving people choice. Now, what does that come down to in my view? Um, M. Hogan, the, the time secretary, put it really well. She said, look, when it comes to crisis, people want empathy. Uh, when it comes to transactions, people want efficiency, uh, but it needs to be trustworthy. So if you can demonstrate, for example, in a digital driver's license, that that cuts out a lot of the, the noise when it comes to the transaction and the stress, people will absolutely, provided they trust it, will use it and use it in spades. So we can do it and we can do it as a nation. Um, we just need to be more coordinated uh, and part of Team Australia to make sure we get it done. Okay, let me, let me ask you this, uh, given you've brought up trustworthiness and, and you're now a director at the Trustworthy Digital Society Hub, that UTS-UNSW venture. Okay, now this, like, I'm not, uh, I'm not asking you to comment directly on this, but it's an interesting point. Robo-debt. Uh, Robo-debt cost the federal government a horrendous amount in terms of trust in, uh, in its institutions. Okay, so how do you rebuild that? Trust as someone who has delivered, uh, you know, government services via digital platforms, and how, like, 
digital ID should actually be able to contribute to that trustworthiness, right? So can you talk on that? And then I'm going to ask you also, uh, Ashley. Yeah, well, when I think about what is trustworthy, there are a whole lot of metrics around that. For me, it's about uh, are you uh, respecting my privacy? Are you, uh, you know, securing uh, my you know, my security, as it were? Are you uh, are you ethical? Are you transparent? Are you inclusive? Uh, are you sustainable? There's a whole lot of metrics around it. Um, pick your own, but that's what for me makes something trustworthy. Trustworthy because it's ongoing. It's not like you've set a goal or you hit a mark and then you're trusted for life. It's a relationship. You got to be trustworthy and continue to earn that trust. So, for example, in service, uh, there was an example of a breach. But what did we do? We learned from that. Uh, We were very transparent about it, um, owned the mistake. Uh, But as a result, uh, beyond the communication, we actually put some structures in place to help uh, protect people in the future. So, for example, we created ID support. Now, we saw a... Yeah, obviously a bit of a fall in the in the trust, but it quickly bounced back up because people knew that for years and years and years, um, service built a trustworthy brand and service offering. Sure, there was a failure, but we owned it and we got back up on our feet. Now, if we had a series of failures, then that would obviously uh, hurt us in the long term. But I, I think we you've got to frame this up as an ongoing relationship between government and the public to build that trustworthiness. Actually, I wonder, do you want to comment on that, specifically on digital ID as either a contributor to trustworthiness or a, or a, or a challenge for trustworthiness? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you just hit a few key points, and obviously from a policy and human and citizen perspective, um, from a technology standpoint, we are in a position now it's 2023. You can build anything you really want to around digital identity with the technology that's available today, particularly, you know, this is what we strive for at PIN. Um, but I think Victor was talking about it more from a credibility standpoint, that trust is something that is built and earned and then built on from day one. We treat the fundamentals of identity management the same way, that it is authenticate and authenticate continuously. And if you're doing that well, then it doesn't become a question of whether you can be trusted with someone's details or not. The next step of that is actually the authorization piece. And this is what Service New South Wales absolutely got right early on. If you speak to people in, in citizens of New South Wales and their ability to do everything through one app and that they've got control over what's connected or not, they achieve that way ahead of most of the world, but certainly ahead of the rest of Australia. Um, I live in Victoria and I feel like we have a, a, missed, a missed opportunity here, particularly with COVID. Because um, COVID drove the need for us to have a centralised connection to our government and to make sure that we were in line with it. You know, policy expectations, compliance, all those things got pushed to citizens of Australia, which we've never really experienced before, certainly not in this generation. Um, for me personally, and I, I say this with a smile, uh, I connected to the Service Victoria app and it said, you need to provide us your fishing licence. I don't have a fishing licence. That was obviously a strange technology path that it took me down. So that showed me that they were missing that fundamental piece of earning trust from the first step. And that, that's where I think we, are, we have this opportunity as a nation now to really connect 
the various identity platforms that exist. And there's not just one. We've got MyGov. We've got um, an FPOS. There's PostID. There's a few that have been built over the years, all of which were built with best intentions to be the one. Um, Victor raised um, TDF, the Trusted Digital Identity Framework. We know that that is a great starting point. We've got to get our cybersecurity policy right and how we protect people's privacy going forward. Um, but we're seeing some really great initiatives from good work that's been done with um, major financial institutions connecting with Connect ID and linking that TDF framework and making it more available to more organisations across the country. We need to see the same thing coming from our governments connect all layers of government to a framework or a combined platform. I don't think the latter is going to be possible because we've got so many layers of government across the country that makes sharing difficult unless you build it around the consent and authorization framework. Well, what, uh, Victor Dominello, what, what do you make of that? I mean, in New South Wales, your driver's license with an 80% take up is quite extraordinary. But if we have a, a, this trusted digital identity framework with multiple identities, what, I mean, does that bring up other issues in terms of, even in terms of trustworthiness or, or in terms of, uh, just, public awareness of the availability of these things. So between MyGov ID, Connect ID, Post ID, all these things, how do you get to that, uh, you know, to the the numbers that you need to really drive some efficiencies through the economy? Oh, look, I, I, look, I'm optimistic that you will get to the numbers. The, the reality is people are smart. Uh, they, they just want government out of their lives. Uh, the classic example is the Opal card. I remember when we rolled out the Opal card initially, people would say, oh, look, there'll be a slow uptake. There'll be a whole lot of older people that, you know, still like paying their cash and getting their paper ticket. But what quickly happened is you had two options. You could either get your plastic card, tap and get on the train, or you could line up uh, and maybe miss two or three trains and, uh, and then get on. And what happened, there was a massive adoption to the plastic card. Even the seniors learnt quickly, I'll get my plastic card because it is easier. And again, as long as there's security and all the other uh, metrics in place, people will embrace it. Australians aren't stupid. But that's why that trust piece comes in. Uh, that's got to be part of the design. Once, And it's got to be an ecosystem play. It, it, all roads cannot and should not always lead to government. Uh, you know, we, we live in a democracy uh, and we need to make sure that the business community are also, who can innovate much, much faster, uh, have a place in the market. Um, Minister Gallagher suggested that the very first regulator could be the ACCC, which I think is an inspired choice, but they might need subsequently a a, a, a a dedicated regulator for this identity play. But once you've got that regulator in play and you get the rules of engagement, i.e., so players come in, uh, but if you stuff up, you're going to get cop. You're going to get uh, hit on the head. You're going to get fines. You're going to be kicked off the system. Once you've got that um, that system in place, I am very confident Australians, given the choice, and ultimately it's got to be their choice, will say, actually, this is far safer for me, far more private for me, and takes a lot of time out of my life. Uh, it gives me more personal time back. I think Australians will adopt it. What do you think, Ashley? 
Yeah, I just listening to Victor speak through those points, it made me reflect on, you know, the Farrell report that came out many years back. I think we've got the fundamentals right. We, we understand the, the problem that we're facing into and the risks around that. So I think we've got the right people who have, have put some serious thought into this. I think it's now, I think we're now at the point end of, of this to get something delivered in, in a meaningful timeframe and, for me personally, a meaningful time frame around technology is 12 months. I think we need to see something that really has some teeth to drive that um, convenience and good experience and save citizens of Australia time uh, in their daily lives. Because I think the most common catch cry since uh, we all came out of our various stages of lockdown with COVID is that everyone's busy. There is not enough time in the working week or our lives. So... Delivering that convenience is the answer. That is the key that will unlock uh, digital identity and getting a, 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 a serious system in place in the country. hundred uh, percent. Uh, can I uh, just drill down a little bit, uh, Victor Dominello? Uh, so Katie Gallagher, the finance minister, has said that there should be draft legislation uh, out by the end of – well, she said by the end of the year, so that, that's not too far off. Um I want to ask you why – you're saying the ACCC would, would be – an inspired choice as an initial kind of regulator of this space. Why, why the why the ACCC? I mean, there's probably a few different bodies that, that could have a look at this. Why the ACCC? Well, that's what Katie Gallagher uh, put forward. And well, I'm a big I'm a big fan of uh, the ACCC. Uh, they, they're there to protect the uh, the consumer, and I think this has to be consumer led i.e. it's about the customer, it's about the individual. It's not about government. This is about protecting the rights of the individual because it's ultimately it's their data uh, and that's where we've got to pivot. This is not about government holding your data. This is about you having more control over your data, your identity. And I think that's why the ACCC, you know, for me, they are in many ways the superhero of regulators uh, because they are there uh, fighting for the individual, fighting for the consumer. So I think you know, in that way, uh, I think it's inspired. I, again, I have very uh, high regard for the ACCC, so I'd, I'd love to see them there. Yeah, and I, I'd take that a step further if I can add to it. That the ACCC has taken on the responsibility of compliance and managing the consumer data rights with financial services industry, telcos, superannuation that we're seeing happening now. Uh, so expanding consumer data rights across any organisation or any industries that have digital properties is coming. That's not a question anymore. Um, expanding that to government and giving it meaningful purpose for citizens, I think that just makes sense and they'll have the experience to be able to put the, the right things in place. Okay, I want to ask one. Uh, I've got just a couple more uh, quick questions. One to, to Victor. What, talk to me about the, the physical presence of a service delivery agency like Service New South Wales or it could be Services Australia. I mean, how important in terms of build, you talk about even the, you know, it's a relationship that you have, building trustworthiness is through a relationship. How important is it to maintain, you know, human to human contact or at least uh, it being an option for, you know, human-to-human contact? Well, that, that goes to inclusion. So, for example, my mum, the most important person for me, my dad passed away 25 years ago. So, mum, you know, is everything for our family. Um, she's not a digital native. 
so, you know, I, I can play around on the phone and do everything online, but my mum will still need that face-to-face. And there are a lot of people out there like my mum, your mum's, a whole lot of other um, parents and, and not just senior people. Um, it's people that have trust issues with government uh, or digital. So they will want to have that face-to-face, that, e- that EQ-style connection. So it's, there's an inclusion piece. But one of the last things I said um, when I was a minister to service, I said, look, you know, looking forward, uh, where, what, where do I see the evolution of service New South Wales? Ultimately, uh, there's going to be more and more transactions done online. Uh, and they are the simple transactions. What's going to happen is service is going to have to evolve. So it becomes, I call it a super service, i.e. for people with really complex needs that can't be done on online transactions. That that will require people to go in face-to-face, sit down, let's unpack this. Uh, and so you will need that physical presence. And again, giving people the choice, the option of going in is, uh, in my view, goes to inclusion and therefore goes to trust. And government cannot abandon the field on that. Okay. I want to, uh, I'm going to finish up on this one. I'd like you both to have a stab at answering and I'm not sure whether there's been, uh, work, specific work done here, but digital identity will, you know, will deliver economic benefit, productivity gains, all those kinds of things. Um, and that's, that's the that's the goal, um, obviously, as well as the the convenience for citizens. I want to have a stab at uh, you know though what what are those kinds of economic benefits and uh, and productivity gains that you can see? Like what what's we're talking low hanging fruit here? What will we see first, and what's further down the track? I think the greatest benefit is going to be inclusion. Um, you know, Nick just spoke about the generational differences around technology adoption and trusted governments. I don't think we're going, and this is the double-edged sort of doing what other countries have done where it's everyone must have a digital identity. That means that you've got a generation above us who are digital natives to a degree. Um, they will rely on someone else to do that for them, and that creates a gap of security as well. So the human element needs to be catered to. Um, we've also got remote communities in Australia that need to be catered to. There's some very interesting things happening in that space, which I think we've got um, a speaker for one of these um, podcasts coming up in the next few weeks as well, James. Um, I think the greatest benefit is pulling the whole nation together and getting that inclusion so that we can actually have services that are available to all, and that will have a long-term and generational impact on people's ability to access supporting services, uh, financial support, access to loaning money to be able to invest in themselves, their properties, their businesses. Uh, that is, I think, the 30 to 50-year view that we, we should be taking with these sort of initiatives. From my perspective, James, uh, I endorse everything that Ash has said, but just back of the envelope, cybersecurity is costing our great country circa 20 to $40 billion a year, back of the envelope. If you've got a digital identity in place uh, and that, again, opt-in, that is going to take the hard edge off a lot of that. 
I'm not saying it'll eliminate it, but it'll take a hard edge off it once you you design that into a broader ecosystem. So that's that piece. And even again, if you take 10% of that, that's what circa two to four billion a year. That's you know four major hospitals a year, and that's just again back of the envelope stuff. The other big play is productivity. I, I, for example, now need to go and get a copy of my passport and driver's license uh, and then get it signed by a JP to give to a financial institution. Now, that's taking at least an hour out of my day because I don't even have a photocopier anymore. So, uh, you know, so there's that productivity play. But the deep, deep play and the profound play around digital identity and credentials is that it puts the center of gravity back onto the individual rather than on the agency. That means the individual becomes the hub and the spokes, i.e. the agency, the service delivery, they need to come and center their services around you, the individual. Now, when you've got personal service delivery around the individual, then you're going to get better service delivery. And the productivity around that and the the profound outcomes you get, particularly those that require a lot of services because they've got challenging environments, you cannot put a dollar value on. Uh, so that's why for me, it has been the number one priority for me and my team over the last five years. And it has to be for our country. It really does. Well, I want to thank both of you, Victor Dominello uh, and Ashley Diffie from Ping Identity. Um, it's been a fantastic discussion. I really appreciate you coming on. The Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, James. Thanks, Ash. Thanks, James. Thanks, Victor. I look forward to seeing you both in the universe on uh, the 25th of October. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet video podcast series brought to you by Ping Identity. For more, keep tuning in to innovationoz.com forward slash podcasts or visit pingidentity.com.